Good morning, church. Welcome in person, welcome online. Sorry about the technical difficulties, we'll get that figured out. Uh, We are in a series called Have You Heard? And we are in part three of this series. And I don't know about you, but I enjoy walking through this series, specifically learning about the Holy Spirit. Because I need to learn more about the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure where your background, where your church background is from, if you have a church background at all, but I don't know about you, but I need to learn more about the Holy Spirit, and this series has been a blessing in that. Uh, St. Augustine said, what the soul is in our body, the Holy Spirit is in the body of Christ, which is the church. Like the Holy Spirit is this furnace in the church. And I've been talking in the last few weeks, like I want to be a church that is on fire with the furnace burning of the Holy Spirit inside of it. Like I want to love in ways that other people look at us and go, I don't understand how that's happening. I want us to be in community together in ways that other people look at and go, how is that happening? I'm not sure how it's happening, but I want more of it. Like I think of uh, Acts 1, chapters 2, when the Holy Spirit came down on the followers and was the furnace of the church. And what did that result in? Praying together. Eating together. Encouraging one another. Generosity. And other people looked on that and said, man. I don't know what's going on here, but I want more of that. Uh, I became a Christian in college my sophomore year. And I remember uh, I grew up uh, in Lutheran church and I was confirmed. And and after I went through that, I, I learned a lot about the Bible, but I never really got to know Jesus. Has anybody been there where like you know a lot about maybe some theology or a lot about the Bible, but you really don't have any relationship with Jesus? That's where I was. So what happened in high school? We stopped going to church. Uh, There was a little church fight with my family, and so my family kind of left church, and we never went back. I didn't, wasn't motivated on my own to go to church, and so we left church for the rest of high school. We'd go back on Christmas and Easter, but but I just left church. And then uh, when I entered into college, my freshman year went by, my sophomore year started, and I realized that there was this uh, hole in my life that I was trying to fill in all these different ways. And I thought at the end of the day, like I'm trying all these different things and it's not working. So Jesus, (laughs) I remember you from back in middle school. Jesus, I want to give you a try again, which is kind of funny to phrase it that way, but that's what I was thinking. And so my prayer was, Jesus, if you're real, show me. And so I started having all these conversations with people that just lined up with questions that I had. and, and, And I could tell the Holy Spirit was moving in my life. I started going to church services because I would go to these church services and lo and behold, the sermon that whatever pastor was preaching on that day had something to do with a question that I had or a struggle that I had. So every time I would go, it was like the Holy Spirit was like working all over the place to bring me closer to him. 
And so I'm sitting there. My friend brings me to this worship service, right? I don't really know what's going on. I, I was kind of went as a courtesy of him. And I'm sitting there. And after the, the sermon and after the service, they said, we're going to have like this group prayer time. And so we all kind of huddle up, circle the chairs around and huddle up. And, and we're sitting there and we're just praying. I'm sitting there because I wasn't really, I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't a Christian. So I'm sitting there just kind of sitting there listening to my buddy pray, listening to my other buddy pray. And as we're sitting there, I hear this woman across the room just start screaming and yelling in another language. And she was like going in. She was passionate. And I looked at my buddy. I couldn't understand what she was saying. I I had no clue. I looked at my buddy and I was like, hey, What on earth is going on? Right? Anybody been there where you like in a worship service, you're like, I don't know what's going on. This is kind of weird. This is tripping me out. I don't know what's happening. So I said, What's going on? And my buddy goes, Oh, she's just speaking in tongues. (laughs) I was like, What's that? (laughs) Like, like I I don't know what that is. I'm not even a Christian. I, I have no clue what you're talking about. This just feels really awkward. So today we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts is this interesting thing in the church where either you've hung around the church or you've been around church and you haven't really heard spiritual gifts talked about it at all. Like it's just kind of this thing that that nobody really, maybe every now and then somebody says something about it, but it's kind of in the back closet. Nobody talks about it. Or you can be in this church where I think is a little more rare, where, where you kind of have a general understanding of it, you, you talk about it, and it's useful and helpful for the, the body. Uh, or maybe you've had experiences where like the, the spiritual gifts are elevated to be the main thing, right? Uh, like it can become no longer about like even salvation or, or the relationship with Jesus, but it's more about can I get a spiritual gift? And how can I show that I can have that spiritual gift? So a definition of a spiritual gift is a special attribute given by the Holy Spirit to every member of the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? Church. So the definition of a spiritual gift, a special attribute given by the Holy Spirit to every member of the body of Christ according to God's grace for use within the body. You can find kind of the main lists of spiritual gifts in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, which we'll talk about today. In Ephesians 4, in, in Romans 12, you'll find more of like these motivational gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, you'll find more of like manis- manifestation gifts. And in Ephesians 4, you'll find more ministerial gifts. Now, there's a lot of questions around these. A lot of people will ask, are these the only gifts that you can have? Uh, how do you get these gifts? Uh, what does it look like to have these gifts? And I would say these, these gifts 
are things the Holy Spirit gives the body of Christ for the building up of the body. Now, there's a couple dangers as we get into talking about gifts. Uh, I'm going to talk about it today in the context in which 1 Corinthians 12 talks about. So there's some big things going on that Paul is addressing that I want to get into. Uh, But I want to encourage you, if this sparks some curiosity about gifts, at the end I'll kind of give some next steps on what you can do to learn more. But there's two inherent dangers in spiritual gifts. One of them we see in the church of Corinth. And it's chasing after the gifts more than chasing after a relationship with Jesus. It's an, it's an exaltation of the gift. It's making the gift the primary thing, which we see in the church of Corinthians. Just read through Corinthians 14, and you will see how Paul addresses how the gifts are to be used within the worship service. The Corinthian church was falling into the trap of putting speaking in tongues on a pedestal. For some of us, we go speaking in tongues. I'm not even sure what that is. Uh, I remember one conversation with a friend I had because I was confused. I was like, I don't know what this is. Uh, I was remembering back to my experience in that worship service, and I knew that he had the gift of speaking in tongues, and I trusted him. I knew him. He, he was a worship leader, and I went up to him. I said, hey, Stephen, what's with this speaking in tongues? Like, I know you have the gift. Can you explain what it is? So just to demystify it, my buddy Stephen goes, well, it's pretty easy. Like, I start praying, and it's like this other language takes over. And I'm having this intense dialogue with Jesus, but I'm not necessarily sure what I'm saying. I just know I'm feeling closer to Jesus through it. I say, oh, that makes sense. And he goes, I don't speak out in a worship service because I think biblically that is not correct according to 1 Corinthians 14. But he says it's this gift that I've been given where I feel this intimacy, this closeness to Jesus. Now, there's all sorts of gifts in there, but I mentioned that one specifically because this was the struggle, one of the struggles in the Corinthian church. They were elevating this gift higher than all the other gifts. So that's one danger when we're talking about spiritual gifts. Elevating one, putting one on a pedestal that everyone should try to obtain. The next danger in spiritual gifts is gift projection. So it's me coming to Sam and saying, you have this gift. Instead of Sam, through prayer, through study, through time, with Jesus through the Holy Spirit recognizing that he has this gift to give to the body there are times when we can project a gift and I could say no 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 you have this gift you should use it and Sam might be going I don't know that I have the gift like I I don't know that I, I just might be good at it I don't know if I have it so those are two dangers as we start talking about spiritual gifts But there's all these questions, right, around spiritual gifts, almost none of which I'll answer today. 
So, some questions. Can people have more than one gift? How do you get these gifts? Are these gifts given and you have them for the rest of your life? Or are they more situational gifts? Do, do you need to have a certain gift? What does it even mean to have these gifts and live out these gifts? Because you're really good at something. You're naturally talented at it. Does that mean it's my gift? How do you distinguish between an experience you have in a gift that the Holy Spirit has given you. Are there gifts that the Holy Spirit can give that aren't necessarily found in Scripture? How do I use the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given me wisely? I have more questions. I can go on. But I want to, again, encourage you. If this kind of sparks some curiosity, I want to encourage you to go and do learning. Go and learn. In 1 Corinthians chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14, we have this massive section where Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthian church, and he's doing a lot of correcting in it. If you read through the whole letter, Paul is correcting, correcting, correcting. Here's where you're going wrong. Here's where this is messed up. You need to to make this situation right. And in this section, these chapters, Paul is specifically addressing divisions and disorder in the worship gathering. And Paul is revealing some serious heart issues that the Corinthian church had. And he's addressing them. He's confronting them. And he's saying, look, This heart issue needs to change because this isn't how it is supposed to look. So that's the context. Context, very important. I usually find 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 are usually yanked out of context all the time as Christians. And so what I want to attempt for us to do is put it back in the context of how it was originally written in the letter. So Paul starts in chapter 11 and he's talking about uh, issues in the worship service. And right before he starts talking about spiritual abuse or spiritual gifts, he's talking about abuse of communion, of the Lord's Supper. So when these churches would come together, probably more like house churches would come together, it would be centered around a meal. And you can read it, but Paul's kind of saying, look, when you come together, there's all these divisions among you. Like the cool kids sit over here. uh, The kids that are on the right side sit over here. The kids that are on the left side sit over here. The people that believe in this sit over here. The rich people go over here. The poor people go over here. And it's all messed up. Paul's going, you got it wrong. Like when you come together for worship, there shouldn't be all these divisions. There shouldn't be all these different things. You're segmenting yourselves into all these different subgroups, and there are no subgroups in the church, in the body of Christ. So that's the first thing that Paul addresses. Your hearts are messed up when you come together and you join together for the Lord's Supper, the very thing that is supposed to bring unity in Jesus is causing division. And then Paul starts in 
in chapter 12. Now about the gifts of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. So Paul is doing two things here. He's educating the church on the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit shows up in the church. He's also saying, look, the pagans, they run after all sorts of different gods. They they run after all sorts of different entities of gods that they're chasing after, and that's not what the church does. So he's educating and he's correcting that the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts are not the same is what you experience in your pagan groups and churches and religion. We'll go to verse 4. Paul says there are different kinds of gifts, but of the same spirit that distributes them. If you remember when we've talked about the Ephesian church, there were all these gods that they were chasing after and they would have little statues they'd put in their pocket if they wanted the attribute of that God. And same in the Corinthian church, he is trying to educate them. We are different. There is one spirit, one Lord that we go after and follow. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all of them And in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit given for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To still another, an interpretation of tongues. All of these things are at work and are of the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as the Spirit determines. So you have a couple things there. These are gifts given by the Holy Spirit to believers for the work of the church. And I just kind of simplify this by saying all these lists of gifts that you find in Scripture, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, all these things are evidence that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are working. Like these are the kinds of things the Holy Spirit does in the church. So Paul gives a section on spiritual gifts. Basically says these gifts exist. Holy Spirit gives them to members of the body. For what? 
Paul immediately goes into this analogy of the actual body. In verse 12, just as the body, though one, has many parts, it still many parts form one body, so it is with Jesus. For we were all baptized in one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink from. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. He then goes on to say, uh, you have a foot for a reason. You have a hand for a reason. You have a head for a reason. And they all work together. For what? For good. For what you're supposed to be doing. Like walking around. Working, doing stuff. Like that's how your body works. He says you shouldn't, one part shouldn't, shouldn't say to another part, I'm more important. Your hand shouldn't say to your foot, I'm more important than you. We should just get rid of you. That's not how it works. So Paul goes immediately into this thing. There's all these spiritual gifts the Holy Spirit gives. And then what's the purpose? For it all to come together and form the body of Christ, the church. For the good of ministry. To glorify Jesus. In verse 27 it says, now you're the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, of different tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No. Just like you're not walking around as one body part. You need all of them to, come to do what Jesus has called you to do in the church isn't full of just one gift. The church is full of many, many gifts that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, brings together to glorify himself. So what's your gift? You may not know what your gift is, and that's okay. But the question needs to be out there, what's your gift? Because here's what I take away from this. You are valuable. Online, you are valuable. The church cannot do what the Holy Spirit, what Jesus is calling it to do without you. You are essential. You are important. Ephesians 2, God saved you by grace. You can't take credit for it. It's a free gift. But you are God's masterpiece. He created you to do good works that Jesus has already set up for you to do. You are important. You are needed. 
You are invaluable to the mission of the church. So when you show up, when you bring your gift, beautiful things happen, right? Like the church is lived out. When you pray, people's lives are transformed. In the Holy Spirit, Jesus shows up and provides. When you share a message or you go and talk to somebody, They are blessed because the Holy Spirit is already working in their life. When you volunteer and you sit down there and you greet, you get to smile, you get to say hi, you get to greet people. And just by that greeting may show that someone is valued and it may change the trajectory of their day. When you use your gift to serve snacks or serve coffee, to create a place that people want to be at, that people feel comfortable in. You're making it so that people feel loved. People feel valued by the effort that you are putting in. When you lead a small group, you're creating a place where people sit around and study scripture together and pray together. Support and love one another. Their lives become intertwined. The church needs you. The church needs you to show up and use your gift. Now, Paul, the very next chapter, has one line that, again, he's revealing the heart of what was going on in the Corinthian church. In 13.1, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. He's going, you could have all the gifts in the world, right? Like you could be doing all these impressive things and, and people will walk into the worship gathering and be like, oh, wow. Like that person's really spiritual. They really got it together. They're, they're amazing. Look what they can do. That is amazing. But he's saying, if you don't have love, it's worthless. It sounds like this. Sorry, the sound team, if that messed things up. But I think this is really interesting in our day and age. Because this, this is what people outside the church see. And I'm having more and more conversations that when people see the church, this is what they see. I think it's one of the challenges of our day. When you pray, I just see this. When you give, 
I see this. I hear this. When you get involved, when you serve, I just hear this. If it's not backed up by love. I mean, how many times have we looked at people who are following Jesus or the church on a whole just go, man, that's so disappointing. Like, like all I hear is this, because I'm not seeing how the church is actually loving. Oh, you got all these spiritual gifts? Who cares? Because if it's not backed up by love, this is what it sounds like. I think this is what the church needs to wrestle with in our day, in our age. And in our age where the cultural idea of love is a little wonky, is a little messed up. Like, you only love me if you support and believe everything that I say I am or everything that I do. That's how I know you love me is if you just sign off on all that and be like, oh yeah, it doesn't matter, it's all good. I love you. Or in a day and age when you go, well, the only way you can love me is if you believe everything that I believe. Then you can love me. Or if you're on my side, then you can love me. This is the challenge. How do we show up in the church? How do we show up in the world? How do we show up in the community? Intimately connected with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Have the Holy Spirit working through us. When the Holy Spirit's job is to convict, is to teach, is to correct, is to love. How do we show up? Is the church. And I would ask this question. How do you love your neighbor? How do you love your neighbor? It's easy for someone to say, yeah, the church sounds like this. When they don't have anybody in the church loving them living life with them, supporting them, encouraging them, praying for them. How do you show up and love your neighbor? Not, I really want the church to go out and love my neighbor. Like, yeah, I hope we do that too. But it's more powerful if you show up and love your neighbor. There's more of an impact. And sometimes we like to put it on the church. Well, the church is supposed to do it. No, we, you, me are supposed to do it. The church is made up of us. Living our lives out there. Loving our neighbor.
See, sometimes we want the power of the Holy Spirit. We want the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And it's there. It's here. But it's almost like Paul is going, hey, that's not the main thing. The main thing is, how are you loving your neighbor? How are you loving God and how are you loving your neighbor? Because it's only then when the gifts will mean something powerful to people. So as the worship team comes up, loving starts with you. In your community, on your block, in, our, in your neighborhood, in Eau Claire, or whatever city you are watching from, love starts with you. As we close, here's some next steps. If you're sitting there going, man, Jamie, you didn't really give me a whole lot of information about spiritual gifts. That was on purpose. I think what's around the spiritual gifts in the Corinthian church is more important than the actual spiritual gifts. If you do this, the spiritual gifts will flourish and be impactful because they'll be backed up by love. But if you want to take some next steps, learn. There's this thing called the internet. You can find all sorts of things on the internet. Find some books to read. If you need books to read, come and ask me. I'll give you some. But learn, 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 learn. We can't possibly teach you everything here in 25, 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. Go and learn. And then the next, experiment. Where do you see a need that you feel compelled to meet? Because when you experiment and you look and you pray and you see a need, that maybe you feel the Holy Spirit is going, hey, you can meet that need. Most likely, that is where you will find a spiritual gift. And then step three, extremely important. Get confirmation and affirmation from the church, the body, the people who are following Jesus that you are in community with. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you. We praise you for who you are. We praise you for your grace and your mercy and your justice. We praise you for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. And we ask the Holy Spirit to fill our lives, to fill this place, to fill our hearts and our minds as we go out. We ask the Holy Spirit to keep bringing things up in our hearts that point us towards him on a daily, hourly basis. 
so that the Holy Spirit isn't just this something up here that we believe in, but it's this thing that we were actually walking in on a daily basis. In your name we pray. Amen.